Alrighty then, hello everybody, and welcome back to Gleeman Radio's Return to the Wheel of Time podcast. I'm your host, Tom, and today we're going to be covering Chapter 22 of Path Chosen. On today's episode, Perrin and Egwene form up a plan of action. So let's just get right into it. Betrayer, you're up. This is a spoiler warning, you insignificant worms. So take heed, for I am the Alzaman, heart of the dark, the creator of this fanboy content, Gleam and Tom, has read the series cover to cover, book to book, many, many times. So... If you've yet to read the entire series and insist on listening anyways, well, who's to blame, listener? Not I. Who went and ruined the greatest fantasy series ever? Not I. Alright, another great job, Betrayer. (laughs) No mess-ups again. I think we're getting this down. Uh, now, I've got a review to read, and then we'll just jump right into the recap, alright? Good, good. Take your time. Not really interested in talking about that graded one anyways. Um, well, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, I told you last week I'd have something written out for you, remember? Just let me get to the review, and then we'll just get to the recap. Uh, and then I've got some questions for you from Twitter and Reddit, so that'll be fun. Really? For me? Excellent. It's about time I got the recognition I deserve for helping out with this blasted show. Get on with it, Gleeman. We have to get to what's really important here, after all. Me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, balls. We all know you're a narcissist and way too into yourself. Get over it. Uh, We're going to read the review comment now. It was placed by Jim Claver on my Podbean. Uh, It says, best Wheel of Time podcast I've found. Love it. Don't stop till you make it through a memory of light. This podcast isn't technical review of the literary influences or a deep breakdown of the social influences and how it reflects the blah 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 this is a true fan sharing his love of the works with the listener and you can feel it and hear it every episode gleam and tom does a great job of retelling the story and sharing his love and frustration of the characters and story as it develops he laughs at the characters and himself i absolutely love it burn me i do uh thank you so so much jim claver who is one of my patreons so thank you so much i really enjoyed reading that um (laughs) i guess we got to get on with the podcast now did you call me balls you can't call me balls really and you got that kind of review (laughs) at least he pointed out how unanalytical you are and untechnical and you don't discuss anything important just a fanboy bursting with excitement over his favorite books what a- Yeah, I'm gonna interrupt you right there. Is that supposed to be a diss? Cause if it is, you gotta do better than that, balls. I'm pretty damn proud to be a Willow Time fan, and I'm pretty sure the people listening are too. Don't call me balls. <laughs> 
Jeez, who cares? Let's just get through the damned recap so we can talk about me. Yeah, fine, here it is. You see this part I highlighted on my computer? Just read this right here and we can move on. This? Why would you want me to read this? It's highlighted in hot pink. Why would you? For my amusement. Now, if you read it, we can get on to you answering questions about you, which we all know is all you freaking care about. So, are you gonna read it? Or not? Alright, alright, fine. <clears throat> In the previous chapter, Listen to the Wind, we get a phenomenal chapter from the point of view of Nynaeve Almira, who is absolutely awesome in every way? A strong-willed personality that could even match or surpass the betrayer of what is this? Nonsense! Blah blah blah, Trollocs gone, crushed between the wisdom and water, Moraine is queen of creation, the great lord take you, what is this? <laughs> Just read it, balls, and we can get on to you. Don't <laughs> me if I will, you're mocking me. What? No, no. <laughs> yeah. You know what, Clement? Sometimes I wonder if I'm the only one trying to be professional here sometimes. You sit here and make a mockery. You know what? I'm gone. I'm gone. I tried to be here to follow my goddamn words, but no. No, you've got to be... You know what? Screw it. Screw it. <laughs> Wait, Balsamon, come back. Come back, don't you want you to answer your questions to your fans? Balsamon! <laughs> I guess I pushed him too far. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, guys. Maybe we'll be able to get him back before the end of the podcast so we can ask his questions. Honestly, I kind of know a way to get him back, but I'd rather not do it. So let's just hope he comes back on his own. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I don't know about, uh, you know, he apparently didn't. Maybe you guys did, but <laughs> well, let's just get on with the clip of the day, shall we? And then we can just jump right into the chapter breakdown. <laughs> he drummed on the ground with his fingers, weighing, considering. His decision made, he wasted no time in picking up his axe and setting off downriver. This side of the Arnell lacked the thick forest to the west bank. Clumps of trees spotted across what would be grassland if spring ever came. Some were big enough to be called thickets, with swaths of evergreens among the barren ash and alder and hard gum. Down by the river, the stands were smaller and not so tight. They gave poor cover, but they were all the cover there was. He dashed from growth to growth in a crouch, throwing himself down when he was among the trees to study the riverbanks, the far side as well as his. The warder said the river would be a barrier to fades and trollocs, but would it? Seeing him might be enough to overcome their reluctance to cross deep water. So he watched carefully from behind the trees and ran from one hiding place to the next, fast and low. He covered several miles that way, in spurts, until suddenly, halfway to the beckoning shelter of a growth of willows, he grunted and stopped dead. Alrighty, folks, time for the chapter breakdown. Uh, I hope you liked my clip of the day. Uh, I just found it amusing how Perrin was, you know, 
trying to travel without being seen and it just it just amused the hell out of me that's all so let's begin our breakdown for chapter 22 a path chosen so we've got another parrot chapter which is great but it's so damn short you know if I didn't know the next chapter was like a ridiculously important parent chapter, I feel like he's getting a short shrift, you know? Just a couple pages in, uh, what was it, Dust on the Wind, and then a couple pages here? It's just ridiculous. What, this was like six pages. Um, so Perrin wakes up at, well, after the rising sun, which is really understandable. Again, like Nynaeve, you know? They're exhausted. All of them must have suffered over the last few days. So no blame at all for them spending the night and uh, getting a bit of rest that they really desperately probably needed. Um, the night before, Perrin had found himself a little thicket of tiny trees, barely big enough to be called so. And he hacked at him a bit and kind of piled them on top of himself and went to sleep. Um, I'm guessing it was, uh, half for an extra bit of warmth, and, you know, a bit to block the wind, and a bit to hide himself from any, you know, predators or shadow spot. Um, however, it was the pine needles themselves of the branches that woke him, woke him up, you know, they were poking into him, making him itch, and the big fella just couldn't relax anymore, you know? And... He'd had this great, comforting dream of working back in the forge at Master Luhans in Emmons Field, and he wakes up all uncomfortable and clammy and cold, and it's just, it takes him a moment to fully wake up and register and remember what the hell was going on. And then the first thing he does remember from the night before is the danger and running from Trollocs and Moshadar. And the big guy panics a little bit, grabs his axe, looking all around, um, but he didn't get to his feet. Um, I love the description Jordan puts in here of when he kind of like sits up all panicked, that he kind of looks a bit like a tree himself. Because there's, you know, branches dangling all over his coat and actually a couple on his head. It's great. It's just... <sighs> I love Perrin and I want him to be taken seriously, but <laughs> this chapter uh, kind of pa paints a more amusing picture. But whatever. Oh, hi, Train. I hope that's not in the podcast. Um, yeah, so the big guy gets up. Uh, no, no, he doesn't get up. He crawls on his hands and knees towards the riverbank and looks around nervously, right? The river was wide and empty, just like Nynaeve. It was for Nynaeve last chapter when she was looking around. And he's sitting there going, you know, he'd be perfectly happy not to see any shadow spawn, but he really would have liked a sign of his friends. But, you know, of course, that's not going to happen. Uh, and the poor guy is still damp from his swim across the river, too. I mean, it's not exactly cold or windy as the night before, but neither could it be called warm. And also his stomach is rumbling horribly from hunger. 
and he takes some time to figure out what he's going to do because that's how Perrin is. One thing at a time and the most important first. You know what I mean? So he's like figuring stuff out. You know, his cloak's gone, left in the river, so he doesn't have that for warmth. But even if he did, it would be cold and wet too. And his flint and things for making fire and a, the tiny bit of food he had in his saddlebags are also gone because he lost his horse in the river. Uh, and at least he takes a moment to hope his horse is okay. Even though he admits he prefers walking on his own two feet, you know, that that's what he's more comfortable with, at least he's like, wow, I hope my horse is okay, because Rand didn't think that when Cloud saved him from Trollocs and Mashadar and all that. Matt didn't think of anything about his horse, as far as we know. Tom wasn't like, man, I've had that horse forever. I hope it's okay. No, no, we didn't get any of that. We just got Perrin going, I hope my horse is okay. It just He gets points for that because nobody else has worried about this, okay? <laughs> At least those who have lost their horse haven't really worried about this, as far as I can tell. Um, regardless, uh, he still has his sling. Uh, they describe it as being wrapped around his waist, which is interesting. Maybe... Maybe they use their sling as a belt. I don't know. Uh, but just, like, that's where he has it. I guess that's a very convenient place for it. And he has some snare lines in his pockets, so he can do some hunting with time. And he can make a fire and a fire bow from some wood around. If, with time, you know, it, it, that's just what it all is. The problem he keeps running into. With time. And uh, if he stayed around to make it happen... Well, he might run into things he doesn't want to run into because he doesn't really know the Trollocs are gone. So he's not really keen on sticking around for that bit of time and effort. Um, and he's thinking of Egwene, and he hopes she made it across. You know, he's like, uh, he, he at first he kind of thinks she might not have, and then he kind of scolds himself, and he's like, no, she made it across, but she's not as strong a swimmer as I am. So she's probably further down river. And so that's what he decides to do. He heads on and looks for the only friend he might be able to find. But as you heard from the clip of the day, <laughs> he kind of heads down river in spurts. And I honestly could not help but laughing a bit as I read this portion in the book, because honestly, he's just darting from thicket to thicket, and sometimes he's sending himself into these diving rolls, and he's like, <laughs> you see, just because he hasn't seen some shadow spawn doesn't mean they're gone. We know, of course, the readers, that they're gone because we heard it from the warder, who is someone with good credit for us, the readers, who has clear honor and we doubt very much would lie. But Perrin, unlike us, wasn't privy to that conversation and is simply making the best of what he does know. You know, even if he takes a moment to wonder if the water was right, if the river was wide enough to prevent the Trollocs and Merdral from pursuing him, you know? Because he's sitting there thinking, like, maybe if they see me, they won't care about the river, and they'll come at me anyways. Which, um, after hearing the warders say they would never cross 
running water, I, I mean, but at the same time, I've never met a Trolloc or Murdral face to face. And if I did, without the, you know, per comforting protection of the said warder and Aes Sedai, I wouldn't be really taking chances, and neither is he. It's still kind of silly, though, and it reminds me of, like, kids playing a mixture of tag and hide-and-seek. I, I just, it is so amusing. I, I, I loved it. I really did. Um, after he traverses several miles with these measured sprints from cover to cover, uh, he comes across something that made him throw his earlier caution to the wind. He sees a hoof print right before him on the ground, and now he knew full well that some Trollocs had hooves. But as Parrot puts it, with this big grin on his face, he doubts they also wore horseshoes, especially horseshoes personally designed by Master Luhan with a double crossbore for strength. <laughs> huh. I'm going to pause here for a moment for a question to anyone listening who has experience with horses. I've gone horseback riding once when I was in high school, so I really I just don't know much. Is this double crossbar thing nonsense, or does it have actual merit? You know, the extra crossbar for extra strength. I don't know. Just curious. Um, alrighty then, moving on. Much like Perrin, who, now that he's seen a sign of a horse shooed in the two rivers, he's thrown caution to the wind. He's like, this has to be Egwene and Bella, right? So he's looking for tracks, um, and he's following them. I love how it kind of says that like his sharp eyes could find them, even though the leaf-covered ground wasn't best for tracks, which I like to think that Perrin had good eyes even before the wolf eyes thing, which is great. Um, yeah, so he follows them, and that they led to a large thicket of trees, that could easily shelter someone from both the wind and the pursuing eyes. And, uh, <laughs> careless of the noise he made, Perrin shoved his way through with a huge smile across his face. And once inside, though, he realized that, I don't know, maybe he should have called out first. Because he kind of scared Egwene. You know, she's sitting there, crouched behind her campfire, back against Bella, with this wooden stick raised over her head as an improv uh, improvised club that she's going to try to use to defend herself. But after seeing Perrin, though, she just runs across the clearing and, you know, throws her arms around her friend in a big hug, you know, obviously relieved that she's no longer alone. Um, and she's just so relieved because she's saying, I thought you drowned. And she noticed he's still damp and soaking, well, damp and soaking wet. That makes sense. He's still damp from his swim the night before. So she led, led him over to the fire so he could warm himself up and dry off a bit. And then she hands him some bread and cheese that apparently had been so tightly wrapped in. I don't know what they wrapped it in. Uh, I don't know what they kind of had for those purposes back then. 
but it had so tightly been wrapped around the food that even after being dunked in the river along with Bella, it's perfectly dry, which is, you know, pretty cool. And uh, <laughs> I love how Perrin kind of grumbles himself, uh, grumbles a bit to himself, you know, that he was worried about her when she was obviously doing much better than he had. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so Egwene explains that Bella, fleeing from the Trollocs, just like kind of leaped into the river and towed her along to the other side, which is great and all, but probably wouldn't have worked for anyone other than the girls, you know, Moraine and Nynaeve and Egwene, seeing how Bella herself is only a little cart horse, I really kind of doubt she could have swum across the deep river and wide river while pulling, like, I don't know, Perrin or Rand or, I mean, I don't know, Matt's a little bit slighter built than both of those two, but, you know, especially like Perrin or Rand, I don't think she could have done it. So it was pretty good. It was Egwene. Um, I also really, really love Perrin's regretful glances, um, at Egwene's food packet as she rewraps it and sets it aside and he's licking his fingers clean and he's just like, oh, I wish there was just a bit more. <laughs> oh, it's great. Egwene hesitantly tells him that she really hasn't seen anyone else since last night. And Perrin kind of agrees, sadly, that he hasn't either. And Egwene's like, I hope Rand's alright. Oh, I mean, um, I hope everybody's alright. Which, I mean, you know, we as readers know that this slip-up is fine. Of course she hopes they're all fine. But Rand is foremost in her thoughts as, you know, she is in his. Remember all that, Egwene has to be alright, all of them, but Egwene. Gwen, light to Gwen. It was practically just as annoying as light. Tam is my father. You know what I mean. Um, she adds that Moraine is probably looking for them right now, and she'll totally, definitely, absolutely find them. Cause you know she is an I said I after all. And Perrin's like, yeah, you know, we keep getting reminded of that, even though I try to forget. Which, of course doesn't sit well with the aspiring young Aes Sedai, you know? She's not pleased to hear this, and she kind of gets all tart, being like, I didn't hear you complaining when she kept the Trollocs from catching us earlier, you know, referencing that epic chase before deciding to go to Shatter Logoth. And parents just like, whoa, whoa, easy. You know, it's just like, I, I know, I know, I just wish we could get along without her. I suppose we can't, though. That's just, you know, my wish. You can't blame me for a wish, Egwene. <laughs> uh, and then he says, I've been thinking. Which makes Egwene raise her eyebrows, which is kind of awful. I mean, just awful. And Perrin's a better man than I am, because he just shrugs it away, though. You know, he's thinking that people are always surprised when he had a plan or an idea. And even if it was just or as good or better than theirs, they always remember how deliberately he thought things out. Like, that is some sign of stupidity? It's absolutely the opposite. It's just so dumb. 
Like, I've never heard anybody in my life think that someone is dumb because they take their time to think things through. It's something I've never got about these earlier books in The Wheel of Time. And it's part of the reason I love Fayil so much. She does not underestimate her husband at all. And she is a very clever woman. You know what I mean? It's just... It's just... It's, it's insulting. It's, it just really is insulting. <sighs> so... Perrin just, like, shrugs off her incredible rudeness and awfulness here and just goes on. He's like, so, we could wait for Moraine and Land, which Egwene just cuts in going, yup, the Aes Sedai said she was to find us, so that's who we should do. We should wait right here for the Aes Sedai. Yep, that sounds like a great plan. Wonderful plan. Let's do that. Yep, yep, yep. And, uh... Then, Perrin waits for her to finish and goes on. But, it's also possible for the Trollocs and Murdral to find them first. Plus, Moraine, Lan, and the others, well, they could be dead for all they know. And as Egwene opens her mouth again to protest, he rides over her this time. And he's saying, I'm not saying that's what I want. It's just a possibility. I hope they are all fine. I'd love it if they all just walked up to the campsite right now with smiles and Moraine and Land took charge. But then he inserts a little saying I really, really liked. But hope is like a piece of string when you're drowning. It just isn't enough to get you out by itself. Isn't that spectacular? Wonderful! Oh, it's such a great line. It is such a great line. Uh, I, I, I missed out on an earlier uh, saying in this chapter. Um, he's sitting there thinking about all the crap he has to do, and he thinks that Mistress Luhan used to say, if wishes were wings, sheep would fly. And I like that one, too. <laughs> but the whole, if hope were a string when you're drowning... It just isn't enough to get you out by itself. That's just fantastic. You know, I have so many wonderful sayings from the Wheel of Time I just use on a regular basis. I think one of my absolute favorites is men for men forget but never forgive and women forgive but never forget. I think it's a Tom saying, but I'm not 100% sure. And uh, there's a few examples you could use that in real life, but one of my favorite examples for that is actually from the sitcom That 70s Show, where uh, Kitty comes down, and because Red's, Red's talking to Eric, and Eric's just like, I don't know what happened, I don't know what's going on, I don't know what I did wrong, and Red's just like, son, women are just crazy, and they hold on to things. You know, once, a long time ago, I accidentally scuffed one of your mother's shoes. And every now and then, she comes downstairs, and she puts it on, and uh, she looks at it, and sighs. Eric, this has been going on for 30 damn years. It, it's, it's just, when I explain one of my favorite Wheel of Time quotes to someone who's never used uh, read the series, that's what I use. 
Women forget, uh, men forget, but never forgive. Women forgive, but never forget. And then I use that 70s show uh, reference. I love it so much. I went off track, but I'm trying to pad the runtime a little bit. <laughs> I love sayings in this series. I really do. Um, so, where was I? <laughs> Gwaine opens her mouth to protest. I really hope they're fine. String for drowning. Yes, I love that saying. Okay, so Perrin finished up and Egwene closes her mouth and stares at him stubbornly. And then she's like, so you want to go on downriver to Whitebridge? If Moraine Zedai doesn't find us here, that's where she'll look next. But Perrin's like, I suppose Whitebridge is where we should go. But the Fades will know that too. And they'll be looking for them. Well, looking for us. Well, they'll be looking for Perrin, but he doesn't say that, and I get why. And this time, they don't have an ice die or water for protection, you know? And this has Egwene kind of being a little scornful. Um, I can't, She's kind of looking at Perrin like he's Matt right now. And she's like, oh, I guess you just want to go off and find somewhere to hide where they can't find you. No Trollocs, no Murdrals, no Drakkar, or the Aes Sedai either. And Perrin just ignores her scorn. And he's kind of saying quietly to himself, it's not really like I haven't thought of it. But he's not really sure there's anywhere he could run or hide where he won't be found. And Egwene's like, okay, so where? Um, which kind of takes the big blacksmith apprentice by surprise. He's like, she's letting him take the lead? You know, he's thinking that Egwene never likes doing what other people plan or tell her to do. Except perhaps the wisdom. And he's pretty damn sure she's balked at that too. Um... <laughs> So Perrin smooths out the dirt in front of him and lays out his plan. He pokes a finger in the dirt, making a mark. And he says, if this is where we are now, uh, and then he makes another mark. And he goes, and this is where Whitebridge is. And then he makes a third mark. This should be where Camelin is. And Egwene's just like, Camelin? And she's stunned, you know, and she's like, Really? Camelin? And Perrin's like, Camelin. No one would expect it. We'll wait for them in Camelin. And again, Perrin's just surprised, you know? She's like, she's agreeing with my plan? You know, usually she tries to bully me into doing what she wants to do. You know, which he kind of would have been okay with because he doesn't really want to take the lead right now. He's just like, well, if she wants him to do it, he'll do it. <laughs> um... So he goes on that they'll wait a little while in Camelin, and if the Aes Sedai doesn't come for them, they'll head on to Tarvalin themselves. You know, after all, who knows, he says. Moraine might just think they're dead for all they know. And she just might take Matt and Rand straight to Tarvalin themselves. But Lan had told them there's a good road from Camelin to Tarvalin, so that's what they might have to do. But Egwene's just like, Moraine Sedai will find us. Because she said she would find us, so she will find us. The end. <laughs> Perrin's just like, yeah, sure, I hope so, but you already know my thoughts on hope. Um, but if she doesn't show up after a bit, we'll just head on to Tarvalin. I said a bit, but he said a few days. 
and I think a few days is ridiculous. Like, and I don't think he'd get away with it. He's like, if we're there for a few days and she doesn't show, and I don't think Egwene would let that happen. I think a week, you know, a week and a half, two weeks before they should think about moving on, but whatever. I can't, e I can't actually remember right now how exactly long uh, Rand and Matt were in uh, Camelin before... Uh, everybody showed up. I think they were there for like a week or something, but I mean, I could be wrong. It could have been just a day or two. Um, but yeah, so yeah, he's like, I hope so, but if she doesn't show up after a bit, we'll just head on to Tarvalin and, uh, well, um, <clears throat> we'll request a meeting with Yarmulin's seat. <laughs> Which is totally possible. Um, you know, when you think about it, when men showed up and she's like, it's my right to question, to speak to the Omerlin herself. And Phelan's like, oh, I see. You're claiming your rights, you know? But like Egwene and, uh, if Egwene and parents showed up, the first thing they would be is like, oh, child, do you know you have potential? And she's like, I must speak to the Omerlin seat. Like, but child, yes, of course. But you know your potential. But I must speak to the Omerlin seat. But, child, Moraine Sedai said I should speak to the Armorland Seat. And they're like, <gasps> Moraine Sedai? I don't know if we can trust her now, because Moraine is, like, shady as shit. Which, I don't know why I said that. I think they would believe that, because Moraine hasn't been in the tower much. But, like, I love Moraine. So, I even feel bad for saying it. Um, <laughs> I love how parents really kind of freaked out here a bit about that final point in his plan. He's like, yeah, like, we two weeks ago... They'd never met an Aes Sedai. Uh, and now here he is talking about a meeting with the Omerlin seat. How fantastic. Um, which the good part about that is we kind of know how long this story's been going on. It's been two weeks since the, you know, chapter one. Which is, think of how much shit they've gone through in two weeks. Good God. Um, yeah. So, well, with the plan done, Perrin kind of glances at the packet of bread and cheese, and he's like, <clears throat> uh, so, is there, uh, any possibility of having a little bit more? And Gwyn's just like, no, this might have to last us a little while. And she tucks it into her saddlebags, you know, she's like, unless you had better luck last night with snares than I did. And then she's kind of, at least the fire was easy, and she says it like it was a joke. Which Perrin didn't understand, and that's because she channeled. Good for her, I guess, but um, playing with fire probably isn't like too good of an idea for an untrained initiate. Uh, just my opinion, you know. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, uh, an untrained channeler could probably really mess up with fire. <laughs> Ah, anyways, uh, Perrin's just a bit rueful as he puts away the, f uh, as she puts away the food, and he thinks to himself, I guess there's kind of a limit to how much leadership she'll expect here, <laughs> and he's like, well, whatever, in that case, you know, we better be off, and Egwene's like, wait, what, what are you talking about, you're still wet, you know, and the wind is picking up, and, uh, Perrin just, like, kicks dirt over the fire, and he's like, I'll walk myself dry. Which, I don't know why, but I feel like that's a badass line. 
And it's maybe because they've been through a lot of shit. They're probably still tired. And I know... I, I grew up in Oregon, guys. I know how miserable it is to be soaking wet and have to walk miles. And... I'm just like, oh, you'll walk yourself dry, huh? All right, all right. <laughs> and, well, that's the end of Chapter 22, A Path Chosen. Again, it's not a very long chapter, but uh, it's a good one. <sighs> and we're done, and Baalzaman's still not back yet. Damn it. Uh, you know, I really thought he would have come back because of how much of a narcissist he is. I was sure he'd want to talk about himself, you know? Hear people, you know, ask him questions. I, I, I thought he'd love it, but he didn't come back on his own. Which means I have to do something I really don't want to do. <sighs> Alright, uh, I'm going to do something I'm probably going to regret, folks. But maybe, just maybe... It will bring him back. Alrighty. Alright, I'm ready. Shaitan, your crybaby chosen's not holding up his end of the bargain again, and he stormed off without... Oh, God, I feel awful. Oh, the lights are flickering. Oh, and the world is spinning. Oh, my God. Oh. Well, 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 Cleveland. You actually called upon my master? That's ballsy even for you. You enjoying yourself there on the floor? Did it feel good? Oh my like god, it? shut up. Oh, this is your fault. If you hadn't stormed out, I'll just, just, just go and answer your fat mouth. Ouch! Did you really? <laughs> oh. Who's laughing now, Gleeman? Who's mocking who? And yes, stepping on you was my pleasure. Very well, I will answer these questions. And you can just lie there as a pitiful wretch yeah, on the floor. Sure. Okay. Just do it. Oh, God. Alrighty then. I guess I'll do this. What is it called? A Q&A? Whatever. I'll answer these questions posed to me by fans. Of course they are fans of myself. Don't worry, Gleeman. I'll finish your podcast, too, since you're under the weather. <laughs> Gleeman? Gleeman? Oh, he's unconscious. Huh. I could do anything right now and he would never know. Ah, well. The Great Lord of the Dark called me back to do this, so I'll do it. To be honest... He earned a tiny smidge of respect for me there, for being willing to call upon the Great Lord just for something as this. It's either foolhardy or impressive, but regardless, it surprised me. So, without further ado, let's just get into answering these questions, shall we? Hmm, it says there are three of them here. Let's get to it. Alright, I suppose I'll get on with these questions now. The first one says it's from Taviran Pod from Twitter. Taviran Pod? Is that another Wheel of Time podcast, Gleeman? Oh, yes, he's unconscious. <laughs> Anyways, the question is what's your fave bar of chocolate? Hmm. 
That's a tough one. I'd never really had chocolate until coming to this world in order to work on this ridiculous podcast with the Gleeman, but hmm, the closest thing we had was a kind of what you would have called a protein bar that Agenor liked to make from Drakkar wings and crushed bones of failed half-men. And a few other secret ingredients he refused to divulge with me due to something he called trade secrets. I suppose that's everything. Moving on. The next question is from... God, I don't even know how to say this name. M-A-A-R-E-T-K. Marek? Elitz? Elitz? I have no idea. I hope that's good enough. From Reddit. Hey, Baalzama. First time, long time. What is that even supposed to mean? Is that supposed to be some reference to your first time listener, long, first time caller, long time listener, whatever that is I've seen in a couple movies here? I, I don't know. I've been curious for a while that since you obviously just want oblivion, why not try bail firing yourself and seeing what kind of paradox that might introduce? What? I totally get the whole I'd still be reincarnated issue, but since that's minus your own memories, wouldn't that be essentially the same deal? Worst case scenario is that it won't take, but since it did happen, but since it didn't happen, it has no consequences. Best case, you tear apart the entire fabric of the universe, unmake the wheel, and place yourself outside the reach of the Great Lord. Yeah, how about no? That's not how any of that works. First of all, you can't touch yourself with your own flows. It just doesn't work that way. Might as well ask why water is wet as to explain why. Otherwise, Ice and I would be able to heal themselves left and right, or lift themselves up with flows of air and fly away from our forces of darkness. So, yes, doesn't work that way. Secondly, if I was struck by Balefire, which again, I can't do to myself, I'd be burned out of the pattern entirely. There would be no reincarnation. Or Bilal and Robin would have been reborn like Agenor and Belfamel. Thirdly, even if Luz Theron used Balefire on me, and then someone did the same to him moments later, it still wouldn't make a difference. I wouldn't come back since I was burned out of the pattern. La- and lastly, there is no escaping the Great Lord of the Dark. For if he ceased, so would the light, and no hero would willingly do that, knowing the consequences. At least, no hero in their right mind. So yeah, moving on, let's get on with it. There's one more question left. Last question is from X Nixon, also from Reddit. Hey, balls, can I call you balls? <sighs> I was wondering if there are no beginnings or endings in the Wheel of Time. How does that work when the Great Lord inevitably, eventually wins? 
Also, I know this is kind of a weird question, but did you and Lanfear ever date back in the Age of Legends? What? I know she likes guys who are strong in the power. Also, what's the funniest thing you remember from slaughtering millions in the War of Power or the Trollic Wars? Wow. So, Exnixon just fitted three questions in there. Four questions in there. Are you serious? Wow. Alright. I know where the Gleeman got it from now, the balls thing, and no, you cannot address me as balls. You can address me as Needless, or the Super Chosen, or Mighty Lord, but Alzaman will also do it a pinch. And to get onto the first of the many questions you managed to insert here, there will be an ending to the Wheel of Time if the Great Lord breaks free in any world. That's the whole point. All will become nothing. Foolish friends of the Dark who truly believe they will gain eternal life or become the next rulers of the world just below the Great Lord are only fooling themselves. All will become Nothing. This is the reason I forsook the light and pursued the shadow in the first place. It is inevitable. Next, of course, I never dated Lanfear. She's a clinging nutbag, and we've hated each other since our very first meeting well before she uncovered our master and drilled into the ball. Back when she was simply Marin, and I was Elon Morin Tetradai. Ugh. She may be beautiful, but the idea of any kind of relationship with that woman beyond the professional of Chosen is unpleasant. And I suppose my favorite moments from the War of Power was watching the petty Osmodian blind and name any artist he considered threats to his greatness. He did nothing more to them, and allowed nothing more to them, as their inability to ever perform their craft of music again was his true punishment. Very amusing. Either that or when he severed his mother and handed her over to the pleasures of the murderer. <laughs> What a sad little man he was. It's incredible he ever became one of the Chosen at all. Probably only due to his strength, I'm sure. And lastly, my favorite moment from the Trollic Wars had to be the fall of Menetherin. That shadow take the blasted place. Do you have any idea of how many of my plans they thwarted? <sighs> That's it, I suppose. I suppose I should thank you for your questions. That's what the gleeman on the floor would prefer. But... Moving on. Since he's still unconscious, I suppose I will have to conclude the episode. So... Uh, what does he do? Will he do? Oh, 
Yes, I hope you enjoyed yourself with this pitiful podcast. Have a wonderful day wherever you are, and remember to review the podcast. And yeah, all of that bullshit we don't really care about. Oh, oh, seriously, I have a bone to pick with people listening. I came into the end of an earlier podcast and told you to message the Gleeman for a friend of the Dark Dare, and nobody did. Am I chosen or am I not? Is anybody even freaking listening to me anymore? This is ridiculous. Why did I say... Did I censor myself? Oh, this podcast is bad for me. I'm done. I'm done. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. It's over. Take care. Have a nice day. Be calm.